You know you want to sing it, don't you? <clears throat> Listen, before we jump into everything this morning, I just want to take a moment because so many in this room have been so kind to me. Um, last weekend, I graduated from uh, seminary alongside of Bryce Holdman. <clears throat> and thank you. And please don't. I, but I just want to say, because it would be very hard to find everybody to say it in one place, because so many wrote on our Facebook, and I, I received so many cards. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, because seven years ago, I had no intention of graduating. Uh, and to have had that actually done and to be supported by this church, I am so grateful. So thank you very much for that. Uh, my name is Trevor Miller, if you're wondering why this guy's crying on stage right now. Um, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and it is an honor to be with you this morning here in the traditional space, to be able to open up God's Word and to be able to together learn something new uh, this morning, for God to shape us and mold us. And what a great and appropriate way to begin this service, because we are starting a brand new sermon series that I think is going to be a gift to us over the next few weeks. Uh, but even this morning, as we sat in this room and opened up hymnals and watched it on the screen and we sang songs together. There are certain songs that for me still take me all the way back to when I was a little boy in Dayton, Indiana, in my home church of Dayton United Methodist Church, uh, alongside my grandma or my grandpa singing the great hymns within the church. In particular this morning, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Us. This is a song that I remember as a kid singing over and over again within our church. And being able to stand there even as a kid and hear the power and the fervor of the people in our congregation, it has left a lasting impression upon me. And to be honest with you, I can't tell you one sermon my pastor ever preached when I was a kid. <laughs> but I can remember these songs that sank deep into the recesses of my memory and my soul. And to be clear, that is not a commentary on the effectiveness of my preacher as a kid, as a communicator. But it more has to do with the significance and deep meaning that comes along with corporate song and corporate worship. So for the chance for us to come together and to be able to sing with one another and to hear music from this stage, something powerful happens. And so uh, starting today, we are going to begin a curious and exciting sermon series called Sing Loud, Die Happy. <laughs> So uh, beginning today and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at all of the endless connections between our spiritual condition and our spiritual formation and the songs that we sing and the manner in which we sing them. And so I know this morning already there's probably one of two people in the room. Either you're someone that as we've started this sermon series like, Wonderful. I could not think of anything more great than to be able to sing, tune up the pipes, and sing praises on a Sunday morning. I love it. And I know that there are probably some in the room this morning that you're like, I can think of nothing more painful and laborious than, than singing in vocal worship together. And probably every spectrum in between the two, correct? But I know this. The Bible has so much to say of the value when it comes to us singing personally and singing corporately that we have to dive into this because it is apparently a really big deal to God and it should be a really big deal to us this morning. And so I want to give space for both of those people and everybody in between to be able to fully embrace the gift that it is in song. A lot of our information during this sermon series comes from a really great book and you can grab it on Amazon called Sing... Sing um, Loud, Die Happy, by a guy named Jim Thompson, a CIU grad, actually, go Rams. If you want to go grab that book, it's a great book to read. It might be really helpful during this season if you want to go there. Now, I want to be very clear this morning. This is not some kind of sneaky sermon to try to grow the choir, okay? Hey, you can if you want to. It's, it's not the intention. The intention is not to shame you into singing on Sunday mornings. 
The intention of this sermon series is to recognize within the scriptures that there are 185 different songs that are recorded from Genesis to Revelation. 185 songs that are attributed to someone singing it or corporately singing it together. The longest tune within the scriptures is actually 1,732 words long. And it's, the, it's Psalm 119, a very, very long psalm, which is actually a song. And the longest song within the scriptures is a seven-word Hebrew song that exists in the book of Second Chronicles. And the instruction to sing to the Lord is one of the most commonly used commands in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, alongside of other commands like do not fear. God cares about singing. He cares about music. He cares about song. And here is why. I believe it's because songs and music are things like beauty and art and love, mathematics, things that we engage in, we rub up against, we stumble upon, and oftentimes we can't explain them fully, but there's some kind of deep truth there, some kind of real truth there that shapes us and molds us and moves us, and oftentimes we can't fully explain it. Have you ever been to a really good concert before? If you've been to a concert at Mount Horb, you've been to a really good concert more than likely before. If you've been to a good concert before, you know this kind of experience that you can have when you're with hundreds or potentially thousands of people that are all singing loud together. From stage to the very back, everyone is engaged with one another. Oddly enough, one of the most spiritual and moving experiences I've had was right after college, I went to an Eric Clapton concert in Indiana with a friend of mine. And we had seats not too far from the front. And I remember when we were in this concert, and I, I was a Clapton fan somewhat, but I didn't know a lot of the music and a lot of things I didn't know. But in listening to the music, they came and began to play then Wonderful Tonight, which probably many in the room, it's like your favorite song. And when they began to play Wonderful Tonight, all of a sudden everybody stood up around the, the stadium that we were in and had like flashlights on their cell phones, putting them in the air. I saw someone do this at nine o'clock for our closing song, perfect. Like lights in the air swaying back and forth. It was this powerful moment where all of a sudden all these people who didn't have any idea who each other were, were combined together to sing this song with one another. It was moving. But at the same time, I looked around and I thought to myself, what are we doing? Like this is a song that in the end doesn't really mean that much. We're not really singing of anything of substance. And yet somehow this music has moved us to all be a part of this thing together. And it made me think a second thought, and that was this. When we come on Sunday morning to worship with one another, why don't we sing with the same fervor? We're singing about things that have eternal meaning, like real impact. We're saying things about our Savior, about his sacrifice, about eternity, about the love of God. We should be swaying with one another. I mean, lights in the air. This, these are the things that really mean something. And so I was moved as we began to, to look into this series to recognize that there is something special that happens when we as a church come together and sing with one another. When we make music in this place, it changes things. And that is a powerful opportunity for us. Here's what the great rabbi Abraham Heschel has to say. He says, in singing, we perceive what is otherwise beyond perceiving. Song is not only an act of expression, but also a way of bringing down the Spirit from heaven to earth. Amen? On Pentecost Sunday, what a great way to begin this sermon. We have a chance to bring the Spirit of heaven to earth. This is the very reason why the Bible has so much to say about singing. It is because when we engage with one another, when we sing personally, when we sing corporately, we are speaking the language of the soul. 
deep within us. The tunes that we sing out of the hymns on Sunday mornings oftentimes come from places of deep grief, excited joy, humble awe. It all comes from deep within us. So song has the power to move us and deeply move us towards ourselves, towards the divine, and towards one another in camaraderie. And there's something wonderful that happens when we sing together, a collective consciousness with one another. And when someone begins to sing and we can all join in, that's powerful. I'll give you an example. If I were to stand on stage and sing this. Sweet Caroline. Give yourselves a hand. Well done. How about this one? Uh, Whoa, we're halfway there. Oh, that did not get stronger as it went. I thought it might, but we, we did pretty good. Okay, and this morning, I need some help with my friend Michaela. Okay, so here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to... Speed up, we got some time. Happy birthday, dear Michaela. Happy birthday to you. She is going to hate me now. But you can see, I didn't email anybody this morning telling anybody what was going to go down. All I had to do was to begin song. And we all engage together because we all know it and it touches something deep within us. You know, singing connects us. As the great philosopher Buddy the Elf once said, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is what? Singing loud for all to hear. Because it moves us. It's contagious. It's infectious. The Apostle Paul actually gives a command in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5 that is connected to all of this. We just finished a whole series on the book of Ephesians. And in chapter 5, Paul is talking to those in the early church and he gives them an interesting command of all the things that he could say. Here's what he says to them. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What a day to talk about that. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why does Paul write this? Why does he communicate this of all things? I think it's because he recognizes the kind of encouragement, correction, hope, and motivation that can come from singing over one another and with one another through the moments and the situations throughout our lives. I didn't fully understand this until a few years ago. About three years ago, um, I, I've been doing many, many weddings here at this church, particularly now. Most of the students who were my middle school students 17 years ago when I came to the church, because I'm like 27 or something now. Um, that's not true. Um, when they were in middle school, and now we're like marrying age. And so, you know, I'm getting a lot of invitations to do weddings, and I love doing it. It's like my favorite thing. Um, my wife and I drove back late last night from Beaufort for a wedding for some of our church family, and it was wonderful. And I realized that when I first started doing weddings, uh, there was a special moment in every single wedding. Afterwards, we would come to the dance floor, and there would be the father-daughter dance. And it was special. And I would have come in, I would watch, and I'd be like, this is, this is so nice. Like, this is, this is beautiful. And I remember at my own wedding, you know, father-daughter dance, it was beautiful. But... Something happened three years ago because I had a daughter born into my family when I had two boys before that. So three years ago, Murray Miller came into our life. And I'll never forget the first wedding that I did after Murray was born. So we did the wedding. Everything was done. We went to the dance floor afterwards. And I went and got something to drink and kind of came over to watch everything happening. And all of a sudden, father-daughter dance begins to happen. And I'm like a puddle on the side of the dance floor. 
I'm like, what is happening? Like ugly crying as this is going down. And everybody around the dance floor, they're crying too. It's like the country song, I loved her first. You're like, are you kidding me? And you're hearing all the words and just weeping. And here's why. I never had a connection to the words or to the song or to the music. And all of a sudden now it connected to me and I knew why people had cried for years before me because the connection between father and daughter is so special. It wasn't pretty. But there's something that happens when we begin to realize that through song we speak each other's truths, so we can relate to one another. Until I had a daughter of my own, I didn't know it. You see, when we sing these hymns on a Sunday morning in this room, in this traditional space, it's a rallying point for us. It's a connection point for the people of God because we've all experienced joy. We've all experienced sorrow. We've all experienced hope. We've all experienced pain. And when we have a chance to sing it together, it does something to us. Now, I've had the privilege in this church to walk alongside of wonderful families who have lost loved ones. And doing a funeral here in this room, sitting in that chair, I watch oftentimes Melody or someone else sing songs like, It Is Well, How Great Thou Art. And together, watching a family in the front row right here, in between tears, recognizing as the congregation around them is singing these songs, there's strength that comes back to them because we connect to one another through song. And I would argue that, that song is a forgotten value within our church. And it's something that I would love to see come back. And in reading this book and in talking through this sermon series, I'm excited because I think it's something that could change our lives. So I want to talk this morning very quickly about three different ways in which we should sing and reasons why we should sing. So I want to look at what the Bible has to say to us. And the first thing is this. First, we should sing to ourselves. We should sing to ourselves. Uh, my son Owen is in the room, and he is eight, and he is a self-singer. And what I mean by that is oftentimes when we'll tell him, hey, go get cleaned up, go jump in the shower, he'll go into the shower and he'll be by himself, nobody there, and he'll be cleaning up. And all of a sudden you can hear him throughout the house just start singing. And so Jen and I will be sitting in our room listening, like, do you, do you hear that? Yeah, and he'll just be going for it, you know. And I read somewhere one time that children who sing are children who are happy. So I love it. I love to hear him sing. And what's funny is the songs are never really songs that I can recognize. I'm like, I can't pinpoint that one. It's just coming out of him somewhere. And he just sings and sings as if nobody's watching, as if nobody else is around. You see, it might sound strange to us this morning, but I believe there is value in us singing to our own hearts. There, there is power that comes from us being able to sing in a way that reorients our minds. We have the ability to set in our memory and in our hearts songs about God's love about his purpose, about his strength, about his guidance. I want to show a video today, and I, I didn't, of my daughter, who loves to sing this, the Cain song, I'm blessed. And she'll be like, blessed, I am blessed, and go through the whole thing. It's awesome to watch her sing, because she just believes it. You can tell as a little girl, she believes it. There's something that happens when we sing to ourselves. And with these words hidden in our hearts, we can reorient ourselves to God. Paul introduces this idea to us in the book of 1 Corinthians, actually. And Paul's writing this portion of 1 Corinthians because what was happening in the early church at this time is there were people who were, who were really focused on this gift of praying in tongues. And they were praying in the Spirit, and in so doing, there were many around them who didn't know what was going on or what was being said. And some of those who were even praying in the Spirit didn't know what was going on or what was being said. And Paul is arguing here for understanding 
Because he says through prayer and through song with understanding in our minds and hearts, it can change things. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. He says, so what should I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. Some translations say with my mind. I will sing with the spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. I will sing with my mind. There's something that happens when we sing to ourselves, singing, praying, speaking in a language that is unknown to others can be intelligible, potentially even unhelpful. And so Paul says, be careful to pray and speak and sing in a kind of way where it's helpful not just for those around you, but also for you, that it might impact your soul, your heart, your mind. This is important for us because oftentimes when we come in on a Sunday morning, we are battling with things on the inside that nobody else knows about. Maybe even this morning as you've come and sit in these pews, you're wondering, where is God? Maybe even this morning you've come in, you're wondering, am I worthy? Maybe coming in this morning worried about your failures, your confusion. Maybe you feel downtrodden. These songs can help well that up within us and recognize those things and find healing. Psalm 42, the psalmist says it this way. Listen to this song that he's singing to himself. He says, why my soul are you downcast? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. See, the author knows that there's power that comes from singing to himself. Why, soul, do you feel this way? Why are you so downtrodden? I want to remind myself that my hope is in God and he is my Savior It is sometimes through song that we have a chance to plumb the depths of our souls and discover places where God is yet to touch and God is yet to heal. Singing can focus our hearts and mind like a laser to help navigate us through the layers of life experience as we sing to ourselves. You ever been listening to a song while you're driving in the car and all of a sudden the song comes on and you begin to well up and weep in your own car by yourself? Why? It's touching somewhere deep in your soul. I've heard songs before that I can't even help it. Smile just comes across my face as I hear it play because there's emotions there. If I'm really, really honest, some of us in the room today, we might have a really hard time with emotional intelligence, really knowing how we feel and why we feel what we feel. And song can be a way to getting to the bottom of it through every circumstance. So be like Owen, who loves to sing in the shower, like nobody's listening, nobody's watching. Do the same. Sing to yourself that God might reveal to you the work that he wants to do. So sometimes we sing to ourselves, but sometimes we should sing to God. Sometimes we should sing to God. Within the scriptures, 185 different songs that are within the Bible, almost all of them, the majority of them, are directed toward God himself. And these songs that are written are meant to be the primary way in which the mortal connect with the divine and humans connect with God. And so in the Old Testament, you have this prophet named Zephaniah who writes a book in the Old Testament called, guess what? Zephaniah, you did good. Zephaniah writes this book, and it's a prophetic book toward the people of Israel. And what he's doing is he's writing to them, reminding them that because of their disobedience, because of their lack of relationship with God and dismissal of God, they find themselves in a really difficult spot. At this point in time, Israel is being ruled by an evil king named Manasseh. And so Zephaniah is writing to them and he's calling the people to sing to God. And something incredible happens. After they sing to God, there's something that takes place that can change them and it can change us. 
So Zephaniah writes this in chapter 3. He says this starting in verse 14. He says, Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. And listen to this, but will rejoice over you with what? Singing. Sometimes we sing to God. And so in this Zephaniah chapter 3, Zephaniah says, Sing to the Lord, O daughter Zion. Sing to him, for he's going to redeem you. He's going to turn back the enemy. And at the very end, guess what happens in return? As they sing to God, God then turns and he sings over them. Because of his trustworthy nature, his ability to save as a great warrior, he sings over them and he sings over them with joy. He rejoices over them. Maybe this morning that's just something you need to hear. God rejoices over you. He sings over you. And our invitation to sing to God oftentimes is so that we can slow down afterwards and allow God to sing over us. As we sing these great hymns in this room, I want you to picture yourself from time to time singing to a God who loves you and who is for you, who's able to save, who's able to do great things. And sometimes when we don't even have the words to speak ourselves, song gives us those words to help communicate with God and to connect with him so we might hear him sing over us with love and joy and rejoicing. You may have heard of a country singer named Mel Tillis. So Mel Tillis was born in 1932, and I didn't realize this about his life. I knew who he was, but I didn't realize that living in Florida, he contracted malaria, and after malaria, he developed an intense stutter, had difficulty being able to communicate through speech. But Mel Tillis ended up becoming a great singer and songwriter because when he would sing, he could speak clearly. And so he became an advocate for others with stutters and intense stutters to give them hope because he, when he would sing, when he would write, when he would play music, you could hear everything that he was saying. But when he tried to speak, it was very, very difficult for him, a place of shame and difficulty much of his life. I would argue the same is true in our relationship with God. When we find ourselves sometimes without the words to speak, not knowing how to communicate with God our deep need, to invite him, and I heard us, we were singing hymns earlier, we were inviting God to work in our lives. We're inviting him to show us his love. We're inviting him to rescue us. So we sing to him so that he might in turn sing over us. Song became Mel Tillis' avenue of connection. And I would argue it's our avenue of connection as well. To sing to God. Sometimes we sing to ourselves. And sometimes we sing to God. And lastly this morning, sometimes we should sing to others. Sometimes we should sing to others, to one another. You see, in Jewish culture, a relationship with God was never just personal. In Jewish culture, their understanding of relationship to God was always connected to relationship with others. So the way that we were connected and relationally connected to people around us was the degree to which we were connected and relationally connected to God himself. So it's interesting then when you read a lot of these biblical songs, 185 of them, many of them, particularly in the Psalms, they would be call and response. 
So essentially you would have a leader who would be singing a portion of a song and then in turn people would respond to that with something. So I want to share with you a really great psalm, Psalm 136. We won't read the whole thing because it's a bit long. But you might be able to title Psalm 136 this, His love endures forever. And here's why. Each line of this psalm or this song, once it's sung, the people would have responded by saying, His love endures forever. I screwed this up at 9 o'clock. I'm going to try to not screw it up at 1045, okay? But we're going to do this the way they would have in the Old Testament. So I'm going to, sing, I'm going to pray a line or say a line, and I want you to respond as a congregation, His love endures forever. Are you ready? You'll see it on the screen. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Much better job, I might say, at 1045 than 9. But you can feel what that's like to have someone who is, is making a statement, instilling truth, and then you having the chance to respond to that truth. This is the way they would sing to one another in corporate worship with one another. It was a way of building strength for each other. You may have felt this kind of call and response take place. Maybe, I don't know if you go Saturdays downtown Columbia and you walk into a stadium and you hear, Game! Probably could have chose something different for Sunday morning. But let's try this one. Um, God is good all the time. So you see the connection there. For someone to sing one piece and then the congregation to be able to respond to this truth, to let it sink deep into their hearts. You see, singing with one another has this way of changing the way we relate to each other and the way that we relate to God. See, when I was a kid... Uh, I grew up in the Midwest, and so in the Midwest, there's a lot of tornadoes. And so um, I remember as a, a child, all my cousins were a bit afraid, but I was the worst. So whenever there would be a warning on the screen that would come up or something, you know, an alarm of some kind, I would just lose my mind. And my parents are in the room right now. They can totally attest. I've grown up a little bit. But I would, like, lose it and freak out. And my uncle had this song that he would teach his kids, and I kind of grabbed a hold of it as well because it was helpful. And he would say this. He would sing this song over us, and he would say, who's in the middle of the storm? And then we would respond with, God is. Who's in the middle of the storm? Who's in the middle of the storm? I am not afraid because God is in the storm. So this one little song, we would sing it over and over again because it was call and response. He would speak a truth over us, and by singing back to him, it was our way of saying we want this to reside deep within us as a truth that we can hold on to. Because oftentimes there was fear. Oftentimes there's uncertainty. And there's something that happens when we get to sing this together. You see, singing together is crucial on a Sunday morning because there may be some of us here today who have come in and sat in these pews and you don't feel like you have anything to sing about. Maybe this morning life feels heavy. Life feels hard. There's a psalm within the Old Testament where the psalmist writes, that they didn't want to sing anymore in exile, in a place that wasn't their home. And so they wanted to take the lyres and the instruments and hang them in the poplars because they had nothing to sing about. See, there's something that happens when we may feel this way, but someone down the pew from us with power and fervor is singing loud, and it wells something up within us. 
See, we don't just sing for ourselves. We don't just sing to God, but we also sing for those who cannot sing for themselves. And maybe this morning, if you've come in and you feel like you can't sing, you get to hear the faithful voices of those around you, and it may just give you hope. So we sing for each other. So singing his love endures forever reminds each of us that God is indeed for us. And he will always be for us. When we feel like we've blown it, we believe that God's grace is still ours. I love to watch in this room and watch the faces of those who sing because I can tell you believe it. And when I can tell you believe it, it does something in my own heart. So it's a privilege to sing loud together. To sing his love endures forever. It's an honor and it's a blessing. And it might just change our lives. There's a great story that I've heard circulated a lot of places, a lot of debate whether indeed it is true or not, but it's a great story nonetheless. But it's a story that there's a village in Africa where women who become pregnant will leave the village and they'll go out into the bush and spend time there until they feel they've received a song for the child. After they've received that song, they come back into the village and they teach the whole village this song. So when the child is born, the whole village together sings this song over this child and all throughout that child's life, at all the major moments, milestones, and, and things that take place along the way, they sing this song over this child. They become adults. They sing this song over this child and all these wonderful moments. But there's also another time where these songs are sung, and that's when these children fall into trouble, where they find themselves lost. What this village will do is go and grab this child, pull them back into the village, and surround them and sing over them once again the song that they've heard their entire lives from the very beginning to remind them of who they are and where they come from. This is who you are. This is where you come from. Dr. Bill emailed me after the 9 o'clock service said, you got to add one to it. It's also about where you're going, and that is so true. Don't ever forget who you are. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget where you're going. When we come and we sing to one another, we do it because of this very reason. We can remind ourselves, each other and ourselves, don't forget God's love endures forever. Don't forget he is good and he is good all the time. Don't forget that he is for you. Don't forget that he loves you because too often we do forget. And I'm afraid that many of us this morning, and I found myself in this place over and over again. The idea of singing to ourselves, to God, to others. I mean, it sounds great and all, but the truth is we cannot sing in this kind of manner without a song in our hearts before it becomes a song on our lips. So I just wanna be sensitive to this morning. There may be some today who have deep grief, deep pain, that are wrestling through things right now. And maybe... God is wanting the opportunity to put a song into your heart so it can be, become a song on your lips. At 9 o'clock, we had a lady in our choir who I love very, very much. I've been here quite a while, and I've, I've been around her many, many times. And Janice Holden is a part of our choir. And Janice is a wonderful woman. She sent me her testimony this week. And one of the things she said within her testimony, she's been singing for a long time. I won't tell you how long. But she said back in high school, she sang in groups and eventually began to sing in the choir. It was her joy. She loves it. Back in January, some doctors told her that there was a spot on her lung that they would have to do surgery. And so they did the surgery. There was recovery time. And she felt instantly after that surgery she needed to get back into the choir. She wanted to sing again. 
But to her dismay, she found that because of the surgery, because of the recovery, she didn't have the strength in her lungs to sing the way that she wanted to. It was very distressing to her. So she debated whether or not to get into the choir to sing because she couldn't do it the way she wanted to. It was very difficult, even painful. A lot of prayer went into this. And eventually she said, you know what? I'm going to go back to the choir. And I'm going to sing even if I have to lip sync it. And so this morning at 9 o'clock, Janice Holden was in our choir lip syncing every single song. And you know why? Because she has a song in her heart. So it becomes a song on her lips. What a blessing and a joy to be able to watch Janice worship the way she does. And it makes me ask this question of myself. What reason do I have not to worship? So this morning, we could talk about this all day long, and that'd be wonderful. But I believe it's better for us to put it into practice. And so this morning, I want to invite us into a song here at the end. And I want us to sing it from our hearts, from our lips, believing and trusting that God is indeed for us, that he indeed loves us, and that he is indeed good all of the time. So I want to pray for us, and I'll invite you to stand after we pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for the gift of song. Thank you for the gift of music. I pray, Father, we would not take it for granted the fact that you've given us the opportunity to sing to ourselves, to remind us and reorient our hearts to you. Thank you for the opportunity to sing to you, God, that we might in turn hear you sing back over us with joy. And I pray, Father, that as we even corporately right now sing together, that there might be some here this morning who feel like they have nothing to sing about that would be encouraged with hope as they hear voices raised around them. And Father, if we have something to sing about today, God, would you help that song in our hearts to move to our lips, that it might be an encouragement and a piece of hope to those around us. Lord, we love you. We are grateful for you today. And we sing to you and we worship you this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. And everyone together said,